It says this, verse 1 of Isaiah 52. Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For there shall no more come into you the uncircumcised and the unclean. Shake yourself from the dust and arise. Be seated, O Jerusalem. Loose the bonds from your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. For thus says the Lord, you were sold for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at the first into Egypt to sojourn there, and the Assyrian oppressed them for nothing. Now, therefore, what have I here, declares the Lord, seeing that my people are taken away for nothing? Their rulers wail, declares the Lord, and continually all the day my name is despised. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing, go out from the midst of her, purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go in flight. For the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Praise God for his word today. Amen. Well, we're starting a series today, uh, three weeks uh, over, the, over the next month, uh, during the Christmas season called Christmas Carols singing our Savior's birth. And as you can see, these beautiful decorations up here, praise be to God. So we had a team of people, and I want to call them out by name because I want you to thank them for their hard work. We had Blake and Courtney Bontz, right? We had, uh, 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 we had Danae and Cody Powers. Thanks. Praise God for you guys. Uh, we also had Reagan Watkins and Laura Nicosia who helped out as well. Am I missing anybody, Laura? I don't think so. But let's give them a round of applause. This is beautiful. I love decorations during the Christmas season. I don't like putting them up, but I like looking at them, right? Uh, but we all have traditions that we love to celebrate during the Christmas season. One of those being these, these beautiful decorations. You may have food and treats. You may have all kinds of traditions that you enjoy, eggnog, whatever it may be. But one of the favorite traditions that we have is singing music. Music that is specific to this time of year. And, and we have those Christmas carols. And, and I don't know about you, I'm blown away when I go into a mall or a department store or a drugstore or somewhere during the season and I'm hearing songs and I hear the name Jesus 
sung. Isn't that amazing, right? Silent night, uh, heart the herald angels sing, joy to the world. If you listen to the radio, if you still listen to the radio, or your favorite playlist on Spotify or whatever, you, you turn on that Christmas music and, and it's almost shocking at times because we get so accustomed to not hear anything related to Jesus or to the truth of Christianity throughout the year. But then during this time, we hear songs sung about our Savior's birth. We want to leverage that this season. We want to say, you know what? It's not just songs that should be sung in church. It's not just songs that should be played over loudspeakers as we pay for the gifts that we're going to be giving to our loved ones. No, these are songs that should be meditated upon and thought about. Are we truly thinking about the words that we're singing? These beautiful, glorious truths. And even more than that, the people that we pass in the department store, people we pass on the freeway, the people that we sit with in our living rooms and our families during this Christmas season, are they listening to the words of these songs that are much more than just traditional? They point to the truth of Jesus the Messiah who's come for us. And so the first one we're going to take a look at today is a song that you may know, but you may not know well. It's this, Go Tell It on the Mountain. We'll be taking a look at a carol each week uh, during this, this month, but today is Go Tell It on the Mountain. I've got a little history for you uh, about this song, and then we're going to sing it here in just a moment. The text of this beloved spiritual was first published in the folk song of the American Negro in 1907, a study of African-American folk music by John Wesley Work, Jr. Now, John uh, Work, Jr. Uh, is well known for his pioneering studies of African-American folk music and for his leadership in the performance of spirituals. He studied music at Fisk University in Nashville, Tennessee, and, and he also studied classics at Harvard and then taught Latin, Greek, and history at Fisk from 1898 to 1923. This guy's pretty smart, right? <laughs> Director of the Jubilee Singers at Fisk, work also sang tenor in the Fisk Jubilee Quartet, which toured the country after 1909 and made commercial recordings. Now, John III, his son, he recalled that when he was a child, the students at Fisk University began singing this song, Go Tell It on the Mountain, before daybreak on Christmas morning, going from building to building. And later, his arrangement for use in choral concerts uh, by the Fisk Jubilee Singers helped to popularize this old spiritual song. The refrain theme comes from the Old Testament passages in which praise to God for his acts of deliverance were often shouted, both literally and metaphorically, from the mountaintops. While the three stanzas tell of the essence of the Christmas story, the refrain underscores the missionary impetus of the Christian church. Go and make disciples of all nations. The go, tell, which initially applied to the singers caroling on the university campus is a signal for us to leave the comfortable confines of Christian worship and go tell the message of Christ's redemption to the whole world. You want to sing it? All right, why don't you stand up, and we're going to have our musicians lead us in singing this great old spiritual together. Oh, my God. 
I think they should take that uh, little act on the road, right? Great job. I love it when Mike put the microphone in, in front of Chris and she was just mortified. That was awesome. That was my favorite part. <laughs> All right. Go tell it on the mountain. And, and we read from Isaiah chapter 52, and we're going to take a look at verses 7 through 10 specifically. But I want you to think about this idea this morning. Here's our big idea. Christmas is the good news that Jesus is king. Christmas is the good news that Jesus is king. Now, before we dive into this, these verses, I just want to briefly give you a little bit of context about what's going on here in this poem that we see in verses 7 through 12. Well, first of all, Isaiah is a prophet about 700 years before the life of Jesus, and he's speaking the word of God as it's delivered to him, and he's communicating it to God's people, the nation of Israel. And here's the problem. God's people had been committing the sin of idolatry. They'd been bowing down to the idols of the nations that they had dispossessed out of the land, but also the nations that surrounded them. They were bowing down to gods that they were making with their own hands, gods of wood and stone and precious metals, things that they made with their own hands. They gave praise to these things. And because they were idolatrous, it led them into forsaking the moral code, the law of God, so they became an immoral people, a people that were not living according to God's ethics for them in society. And then because they became immoral sexually and, and morally, it led them to oppression. They were oppressing the peoples that were most vulnerable in society. They were oppressing the poor. They were oppressing the foreigner. They were oppressing the orphan, and they were oppressing the widow. And because of all these sins, Isaiah speaks in this moment, and he speaks that there is a judgment that's coming upon God's people because of their rejection and their betrayal of God's law. And this judgment was going to lead to defeat. It was going to lead to Exile, being removed from the land and being taken to a foreign land where they served foreign kings who bowed down to foreign idols. This was punishment. And it led God's people to asking this question, is there any hope for God's exiled people? Now this exile hadn't completely happened yet. It was happening in stages. It was right in the middle. And, and God was foretelling a day through Isaiah that they would be completely exiled in Babylon. And they would be sitting on the banks of the river in Babylon, the river Euphrates, asking, where is God? They deserved God's anger because of their sin. 
Would there be any hope of victory from their enemies? Where is God in all of this? And I love verse 6 in Isaiah 52. If you've got your Bible open, it says this, Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. God is declaring in this moment to the prophet Isaiah that as, as his people experience exile, he would show up in a powerful way. He wouldn't just send and deliver. He would show up himself to deliver his people. And so we see in verses 7 through 10 a beautiful poem singing the praises of God's deliverance. And we'll take a look at this in, in three different parts. The first part comes from verse 7, Isaiah 52, 7. And we see that beautiful feet deliver good news. Beautiful feet deliver good news. Again, verse 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. What a beautiful poem of hope in the midst of so much despair. And Isaiah, as he's giving this poem, he's, he's talking about the arrival of God and he brings his peace, peace. Shalom. It's the state of blessing that God's people enjoyed formerly, but that they longed for. This is the greeting that they used toward one another as they came in to the home or as they left the home. They said, Shalom, God's peace and blessing be upon you. And because God is going to come again and deliver his people, they can look forward to that peace, that shalom. It's rooted in God, but they hadn't known this peace for such a long time. This place was fleeting. It was foreign because foreigners had taken over the land. God's people had been taken captive to foreign lands in his peace. His shalom was as far from them as the distance that they'd been exiled to. They'd been plundered. They'd been tormented. They'd been mocked. They were in anguish. Verse 5 of Isaiah 52 says that the rulers of, of God's people, they were wailing and moaning. They were groaning because of the oppression of their enemies upon them. There was no peace because God's name was despised. Peace was far, far from them. Think about your situation today. Maybe that describes you today. I feel like peace is... Far, far from your hearts. Maybe you've had those moments of despair and, and anguish, and you feel like you're surrounded by darkness. Where is peace? This would be their experience of, of the people. But these only revealed the effects of the lack of peace. You see, what they felt were only the symptoms of the real problem that they faced. They were tormented. They wailed, and they were exiled, but it wasn't because of their enemies that they were mightier than them. No, they had God on their side. God had promised to protect them. They were feeling the extreme pain of oppression because they had, they had no peace with God. In the section before ours today, in Isaiah 51, verse 17, we see that the people had drunk from the hand of the Lord of the cup of his wrath. 
You see, it wasn't just that they were out of peace, out of shalom because of their enemies on on the earth. It was because they first were out of shalom with their God. They were drinking the cup of his wrath because of his anger toward their betrayal and their treachery. They weren't just at war with their oppressors. They had been at war with God. They had rejected him as their king. They had bound to the idols of the nations for generation upon generation. God's anger and his judgment had fallen upon them because of their sin, and they were receiving the just punishment for their betrayal. They had betrayed their king. But, but the message that's published here is a message of peace. It's a message of shalom. This messenger is coming from a faraway place and he's saying, I'm coming to you with good news. And that good news is that there is peace that is coming. There is peace. There is shalom. The war is over. Your king is returning and he has conquered all our enemies. Good news. Well, this good news isn't just about peace. It's, it's good news of happiness, and it's literally good news of good. It's, it's repetitive for emphasis. It's good news of good. This message, is, it isn't just good. It's great news. Great news. It's the best news that could have ever been delivered. The message for years for the people of Israel had been threats, defeats, exiles, Oppression, but now good news of good, good tidings. Hope was coming. Well, what, what was that hope? It was salvation. The announcement of peace and happiness is made possible because God is coming to save his people. This isn't just like living in denial. We should have peace. We should be happy. Let's just forget all of our problems. No, no, no. There's coming salvation from the hand of the Lord. You see, the people, they deserved his wrath and his punishment. But because God is gracious, he would save them. He says, you were sold into slavery uh, for no cause, without money, and I'm going to set you free without any cost to you. I'm coming to you, redeem you free of charge. That's what God does. He saves his people free of charge. That's called grace, friends. Grace. God is gracious. They'd been sold into slavery for nothing because of their sin, but now he would come to redeem them without money. Their Savior was coming to deliver them forever. But how? How? How in the world would this deliverance come? How could this be? You see, this was foretelling a day that they would be sitting in foreign lands, in foreign nations, under foreign kings that were more powerful than they were. You see, the Assyrians, they had been in charge and they were ruthless and they tormented God's people as punishment for sin. And then the Babylonians, they came along and displaced Assyria and they were in charge and they were also ruthless. They were also terrible. They also mocked God's people. Who could ever defeat such powerful nations? Who could defeat such ruthless kingdoms, such ruthless armies like the Assyrians? If you know history of, of, of uh, ancient history, you know that these were ruthless, ruthless nations, ruthless uh, uh, kings and, and emperors. Who could ever defeat them? I love what it says here at the end, this message. It says, who announces peace, who publishes great news of happiness, who publishes, salva- publishes salvation, listen to this, who says to Zion, your 
God reigns. Your God reigns. This is the core of the message that this messenger is sending that makes peace possible, that allows us to be happy in the midst of exile and darkness, that brings us salvation. Why can God do all these things and offer them so graciously? Because our God reigns. Peace, happiness, salvation, all these are possible when under the rule, uh, when under the rule of someone who defeats the tyrants who conquers our enemies. The messenger says to, to God's city, Zion, your God reigns. The Lord is king. He's in charge. All things are under his control. Your pain, your torment, your oppression, and your groaning, none of these has escaped the watchful eye of your king. This king knows this king sees, and this king, he reigns. He's poured out his anger and his punishment because of sin for a time, but he's gracious and compassionate and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And this king who reigns, he's returning to make the city new again. He's returning as the king who conquers all his people's enemies. Assyria is no match for this king. Babylon cannot stand before him. And most of all, he is the king who conquers our greatest enemy, which is our sin. He reigns. This is good news. And he's giving salvation that we can never achieve. He rescues sinners because he's king. Now, we, we didn't spend too much time on it, but I'd just like to go back for a moment. Who is this messenger that's bringing this good news? If you've got your Bibles, look again at verse 7. This poem begins by saying, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Kind of sounds like our Christmas carol this morning, doesn't it? Go tell it on the mountain. Or the hills and everywhere, go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Beautiful feet on a mountain with a great message, right? But why does this poem of Isaiah describe him having beautiful feet? I mean, I don't know about you, but feet aren't that awesome to me. <laughs> In fact, we cover up our feet. We manicure our feet, right? Because we want to cover them up. And often they're pretty ugly. And I asked uh, one of our own, a friend here, Casey, to bring in some special equipment that he uses for hiking, his hiking boots. Now, if you could see close by, those of you that down front, you could see these are pretty, pretty beat up. In fact, it's kind of, I'm going to have to wash my hands after this. These are pretty gross. Casey, how many miles do you estimate you put on these shoes? 500 miles on these shoes. Now, I, I talked to uh, Casey. I'm going to set him down right here. You take a good look at him there. All right, I'll put one on either side. Huh? You can see the, how, yeah, that way the smell is kind of dispersed. And I'm just kidding, Casey. You've got beautiful smelling feet. Uh, anyway, I don't know that for sure. Uh, yeah, too much information, right? So, uh, but you think about it. I, I asked him about this, and I have a friend back in California as well. You would never go on a long hike on brand new hiking boots. 
No, it'll tear your feet apart. In fact, Casey was telling me he has to go on short hikes, less than 10 miles to break in new boots before he could ever start a trek. He said one time he tried a 20-mile hike on brand new boots and it nearly killed him. It was awful. I have a friend in California. He describes a trip that he went with with a friend who was experienced, but he made a rookie mistake. He went on a long, long, like week-long hike of like 100 miles on the John Muir Trail in the Sierra Nevada Mountains with brand new shoes and it nearly killed them because he could barely walk at times. You would never do that. But those new hiking boots, they look beautiful, right? They're beautiful on the shelf. It looks so wonderful. But if you're a hiker, you know, you want your boots to look like this if you're going to go for a long hike. You want them to look scuffed up and dirty and worn in because you can go for that trek. And here Isaiah in our passage says, how beautiful are these feet? These feet are beautiful, bringing good news. Why? Because they've traveled a long distance. They've got wear and tear in them to come to this city to deliver good news of peace, to deliver good news of hope, to deliver good news of salvation, to deliver the good news that our God reigns. I can imagine Isaiah saying, oh, these hiking boots are beautiful because they've traveled a long distance to deliver good news to us in the midst of our darkness. You see, the beauty of these feet isn't found in the scuff marks or the, the cuts and bruises of, of the day of Isaiah. No, uh, you know, these feet, they had scars. They had cuts. They had bruises. What's beautiful about it is that it carries a message that our God reigns. He is king. These feet, these ugly-looking feet would have been beautiful to Isaiah because they, they would have traveled from far to announce a good message. If these feet were manicured, if they were cleaned, if they were washed, if they didn't have any bruises or cuts, they wouldn't be as beautiful. Why? Because they didn't travel far to deliver a good message. But these worn down boots with scuffs and tears are broken in because they have a good message to deliver. You see, those who have a good news message, the message that our God reigns, this is the one who journeys to deliver this message and they have beautiful feet. I hope we've got some beautiful feet here in this church. Some feet that maybe show some wear and tear. Maybe your life isn't as comfortable as you'd want it to be, but you're going out and you're living uncomfortably for the purpose of this message and this king because he reigns. Friends, we're not called to live comfortably. We're called to live beautifully. We're called to live in such a way that our, our lives get scuffed up. Our, our lives get cuts and bruises. And they travel to long lengths so that we could share the good news with those that we know, our neighbors, our friends, our loved ones. And that message is this. Our God reigns. He brings peace. He brings hope. He brings salvation. But I'm afraid my life sometimes represents some clean, comfortable, soft-looking feet because I'm unwilling to travel the distance, to go across the street, to take uh, you know, a meal, to share a, a cry with someone who's hurting. It's uncomfortable, it's hard, and it sometimes scuffs up our lives, but those are beautiful feet delivering a beautiful message. Beautiful feet. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the one who brings good news. The message that says, our God reigns. It's our big idea this morning. 
Christmas is the good news that Jesus is king. Well, what happens after that? Verses 8 through 9, it says that the watchmen then have heard the message. And we'll read that again together. Verses 8 through 9. It says, the voice of your watchmen, they, they lift up their voice. Together, they sing for joy. For eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He's redeemed Jerusalem. Second part of our poem here is that singing fills the city. The watchmen, they had heard the good news message of this one with beautiful feet. They heard the good news delivered. Now they're standing on the walls and they're looking all night for God's arrival, for the Lord's arrival. They wait, they gaze onto the horizon, looking for hope, gazing all night, waiting for that sun to arise. And hopefully they see a little silhouette way off on the distance in the horizon. The king showing up larger and larger and larger as he gets closer. They anticipate the arrival of the king. And with their own eyes, they see that silhouette against the rising sun off into the distance. And they know that is the return of their king, the return of the Lord to Zion. The king is coming. He's bringing peace. He's bringing salvation. He's conquered all our enemies. His reign is nothing like our oppressors. He's going to deliver us and he's restoring us. And they see it. They can't wait. They run down into the, the streets and... And they don't just say, he's coming, he's coming. They sing it. They break out into the song. They start singing the praises of the king as he rides into the city victoriously. And their singing starts a concert. Starts a concert in the singing. All throughout the city, people are singing. Singing is even found in the waste places of Jerusalem. There is hope coming because the king is on his way. Go tell it on the mountains, over the hills, and everywhere. Sing, sing, the king is coming. Well, what does their singing include? It includes joy. Despite their past, despite their circumstances, the king hasn't even arrived yet, but he's, but he's on his way, he's almost there, but their hearts are filled with joy. With joy. The arrival of the king has totally transformed their dispositions. Despair changes to delight. Sadness turns into singing. I don't know about you, but this time of year, sometimes I, I feel like, where's my joy? Where's my peace? Where's my hope? Friends, if we're focusing on our circumstances, we're focusing on the waste places of our lives, and each of us have pockets of that, right? Brokenness in our own lives. It's going to rob us of joy. It's going to rob us of peace. But when we remember, the king has come. can fill our hearts with a new song, a song of joy, a song of praise, and a song of comfort. That's the next thing they're singing about. This king, he's not numb to the suffering of his people. He's not cold. He's not heartless like the kings who had oppressed them and ruled them. No, this king is gracious. This king is compassionate. This king is going to comfort his people. He's going to comfort them like a, a shepherd with a sheep, like a mother with her young. This king brings comfort in the midst of the pain. And this king is coming to redeem his people, redemption. He redeems them from their slavery. He rescues them out of their imprisonment. He sets the captives free. This is a new and greater exodus, friends. God is delivering his people out of enslavement, out of imprisonment. The king is the redeemer of his people. He doesn't take from them. He gives. He's a gracious giver. He's a generous redeemer. You could probably see the parallels here, why this was such a popular song. 
for black Americans living in the midst of oppression and slavery. Even in the midst of all of it, they could find peace because a king is coming and he sets our hearts free. And praise be to God, he's setting people free here today, amen? The singing doesn't stop at the city walls though. It's not just singing, it's not just a chorus that's filling the city of Jerusalem. No, in the third part, we see that this salvation stretches to the ends of the earth. Verse, verse 10, it says, The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. The Lord has bared his holy arm. He's, he's really, he's rolled up his sleeves for action, right? Can you get the image there? To show his power and his might to deliver and conquer his enemies. And all the nations see it. Not just Israel, not just Assyria, not just Babylon. The delivering and conquering of peace shows his salvation to the whole world, to the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Friends, this is a global endeavor. It begins in Jerusalem and it stretches to the ends of the earth. It sounds like our theme verse in our series in Acts. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. This good news message is going all over. And what's that message? The king is ruler over all. And he offers salvation. He offers Yeshua, the name of Jesus, to all who call upon him. So we have to ask this question then. We've been looking at this text. We saw the big idea, but, but who is this king? Who is this king that's arriving? Who is this king that motivates a, a, a messenger to have beautiful feet, to travel long distances to deliver news? Who is this king that, that inspires a song from watchmen and from the waste places of the city? Who is this king that's coming to redeem and save his people? In Luke chapter 1, we see a, an encounter of, of an angel, Gabriel, talking with the Virgin Mary. And he's announcing to Mary that she's going to conceive, even though she's a virgin, and bear a son. And she's startled by this, I'm sure. And the angel says to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, the Lord saves is what it means. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Our God reigns, he's telling Mary. And that, that boy that's going to reign, he's gonna be put into your womb and you're gonna give birth to this king. Later on, as, as Jesus is born, we know the story well, right? Linus taught us in uh, Peanuts, right? Luke 10, 2, 10 through 11, the angel speaks to shepherds as they're watching their flocks by night. And he says, fear not, behold, I bring you good news. Good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There's the identifier. Who is this king? It's Jesus. Jesus is this king. Jesus is the one who rides into our city and he brings peace. He brings comfort. He brings joy because he's a conquering king, a king unlike we've ever seen before. Other kings, they, they torment, they battle, they fight, they war, they make you kneel in submission, but this king comes and he says, no, you can kill me. You can hang me on the cross so that I can be your king and deliver you from your greatest enemy, from sin and death and Satan 
in all the brokenness of this world. What a king. What a king. That's our big idea this morning. Christmas is the good news that Jesus is king. He is the conquering king of Isaiah. Christmas is about Jesus. That sounds like, well, duh, Pastor Matt, right? (laughs) We all know that, right? Christmas is about Jesus. He's the prince of peace. He's not just this little Jesus that's lying in a manger. Certainly, that shows us his humility, but he's a king. He's Jesus, Yeshua. He's the one that says the Lord saves. He fills our hearts with joy. He comforts the afflicted. If you're afflicted here today, if you're hurting, if you haven't had joy, Christmas is about King Jesus who wants to heal you and give you joy. He's redeemed us through his bloody sacrifice on the cross and his glorious conquering resurrection from the grave. He is the display of God's powerful arm to the nations. You want to see God roll up his sleeves? Look to the manger and see our king who's come to deliver us. His arrival is the visible proof that our God reigns. And one day he's going to return again and show the whole world his kingdom. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. Friends, that's our message this Christmas. That's the message that we're going to proclaim here from this stage each Sunday. It's the message that we're going to declare and and talk about and celebrate in our small groups. It's the message that we we share and encourage each other, one, uh, one another with over coffee. And it's the message that we're called to share as we go out and love Christ and live sent. And it's this message, our God reigns. The Prince of Peace has come. This is the message we need. This is the message our world needs. This is why we repeat it every week. We love Christ, our King, and we live sent as the King's ambassadors. Our world needs some beautiful feet, right? Needs some beautiful feet delivering good news, friends. We don't want our gospel shoes looking shiny and new right out of the box. No, we want them to be worn out. We want our gospel shoes looking scuffed up. They're only beautiful if they're delivering the good news message that our King Jesus reigns. So will you break in your good news shoes this Christmas? I hope you will. You're going to have opportunities. I know many of you have already started to share with the leadership here. Hey, I'm heading out of town. I'm traveling here. I'm traveling there. Getting on an airplane. I'm going to be out of town. Praise be to God for that. We will, we'll miss you. We will miss you. But I am so excited to think of you getting on airplanes, you packing up cars, you getting on Zoom calls, whatever it is, however you're connecting with the people that you know, living sent with a message that celebrates and declares our God reigns. I hope you come back from this Christmas season. By the way, we're still meeting all month, right? I'm not dismissing you for the month of Christmas. But, but as you come back, I hope you come back with some good new shoes looking like this. You're wearing your shoes out, declaring the message to your friends and family that our God reigns. Romans 10, 13 to 15 says this. About this passage, Paul writes, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they've never believed, have not believed? How are they to believe in him and whom they've never seen? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written in Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful are the feet of those 
who bring good news. Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is born. And that means our God reigns. Our God reigns. That's something to get excited about this Christmas. Amen? Our God reigns. Go tell it on the mountains. Shout it from the rooftops. Our Lord reigns. In closing, what does this mean for Monday? And the message of peace with, with God through the arrival of the conquering King Jesus, it has to first begin with us. We have to preach that message to ourselves. We've got enemies in our own hearts, amen? If we're going to announce the arrival of God's peace through the arrival of our King, Jesus, we have to first experience His peace in our own lives. I came across this verse this week. I shared it with the team in our morning huddle this morning. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. That's my invitation this morning to me and to you and to us. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. This Jesus that we celebrate at Christmas time, we don't have to crown him as king. He is the king. But the question is, is will he rule in your hearts this season? As you get on your airplanes and in your cars, and as you wear your good news shoes, are you able to share a good news message with those around you to say, the peace of Christ is ruling in my heart. He's changing me. He's transforming me. I want to introduce you to this king. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. As the king's ambassadors, we can't represent him well if we're still at war in our own hearts. Who or what is the enemy of peace that's in your heart today? Some of our friends this morning, they were sharing, you know, enemies like anxiety, stress, bitterness, conflict, lack of hope, despair, discouragement. You've got enemies to that peace reigning in your hearts. And as we get ready to close, I just want to invite you, will you allow the peace of Christ to rule in your hearts because our God reigns. We want to go and tell it on the mountaintops everywhere we go this Christmas season. But first, we have to open ourselves up and say, oh Lord Jesus, there's enemies of peace in my heart. Would you come and reign in my heart with your peace? Friends, Christmas is the good news that Jesus is King. Let the peace of Christ, the King, rule in your heart. Tell him about the battles you face. Tell him your fears. And remind yourself when you feel in despair, our God reigns. Christmas is the good news that Jesus is King. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we have an exciting message to share. We, we've got this message that brings peace and hope and life and joy and comfort to our hearts. The king has come. And we don't have to ask the question, who is that king? We know he's Jesus. And so we want to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts today. Father, if we're carrying bitterness, if we're carrying shame, if we're carrying anxiety, we lay it at your feet today. I pray that every follower of Jesus would search their hearts and say, oh, what has been robbing me of peace today? And oh, Lord, I pray also, would you send us out with, with good news shoes? And I pray that they would get wore out this holiday season, this Christmas season, as we go to share a message with our friends and our loved ones that our God reigns.
Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you reign. Thank you for the peace that you've given to us. We trust in you today, and we will sing it today, tomorrow, Christmas Eve, the day after Christmas. We're going to continue to sing it. We're going to go tell it on the mountains. We're going to go over the hills and everywhere. We're going to tell it to our neighbors, our friends, our loved ones. We're going to live such to tell them. Our God reigns. Jesus Christ is born. We celebrate you today, Lord Jesus. We love you. We'll give you praise now. It's in your name we pray.